0: little known fact about my guest today. As a young student, a teacher had him read a bit of a play out loud for his class, and that small ask opened up a life and love of the theater. Welcome the extraordinary David Morse to the podcast. A-O-K! everyone. My guest today is David Morse. David received Emmy nominations for his roles on House and HBO's John Adams. He's appeared in numerous television series, including Emmy-nominated Escape at Donamora, The Chair, The Morning Show, The Deuce, Hack, Treme, True Detective, Outsiders, and St. Elsewhere. Film credits include The Green Mile, 16 Blocks, The Hurt Locker, World War Z, and Concussion. A stage veteran, David Morse is currently on Broadway in Paula Vogel's Pulitzer Prize-winning show, How I Learned to Drive, reprising the role he originated opposite Mary Louise Parker off-Broadway in 1997. He previously starred on Broadway in the 2018 revival of The Iceman Cometh, for which he received a Tony nomination, and most recently was also nominated for a Tony for his role in How I Learned to Drive. Welcome, David Morris, to the podcast. Hi, Uncle Peck.
1: Oh, (laughs) well, what an introduction. Yeah. How are you?
0: I'm good. You have done so many things. And as you know, that's just like the tiniest little bit of, of your credits. And before we get into this extraordinary moment in time where you are recreating a role, um, from your past, which is something some actors dream of and some actors are terrified of. I wanted to go back in time a little bit, just if you will. This play you're in now is so much a memory play and a play about childhood and and for for Mary Louise Parker's character. Can you just tell me a little bit about David Morse's childhood? Where did you grow up? Who was in your house with you? When did your love of the arts sort of enter your consciousness.
1: Uh, well, I, gr- I grew up in uh, Massachusetts mostly, I, a little bit, a little bit in Connecticut. My father was a traveling salesman, sold light bulbs on the road. Uh, he would go away for two weeks at a time. We'd see him on the weekends. My um, three younger sisters. Um, my mother was really a remarkable woman, but she, you know, she was at that time a housewife. Uh, my father did things in his life that, um, were not good. And she went back to school. So if she had to leave him, uh, she would be able to take care of four children on her own. So she went back to school when I was about 10 to get her master's degree in in education. Um, and I started, you know, cooking breakfast for my sisters to get them out to school and doing laundry and, um, you know, that stuff, uh, it was not, it was not a happy household, though there were remarkable things in it. And, and, and you know, in a childhood, you know, really amazing childhood things, um, which I'm very grateful for. And, and, and I truly love my family, but it was, it was a hard time. My mother, uh, I, I would just, when we were go anywhere, I would draw, 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 draw everything, draw everything. So I was, I had that creative mind and that was encouraged. I didn't know acting was gonna be something that I I would do. Um, And in eighth grade, there was a teacher who who was fantastic. She wanted us to read a play out out loud on borrowed time. And she asked me to read um, one of the roles in it, which I was terrified of doing. But something woke up in me when I read one of these roles and we read a little bit one day each week. And I wound up, uh, she just kept calling on me to read in this thing. Um, and it really, I didn't. I don't know what it was. Just becoming these, these different people. Right. And I'm sure you've heard this from other people. Just that thing of becoming someone beside myself um, just totally woke me up. And when I got to high school, there was another amazing teacher, Mrs. Farini who, uh, it was the same thing. She just recognized it. And uh, it's, it's what I lived for in high school.
0: Were you, um, were, would you be described as shy as a kid? Were you a troublemaker, sort of? If those teachers could be on this podcast and sort of describe their memory of your school personality, what, what was your vibe?
1: Well, I was, I was, I, my vibe was the class clown, which is, which there's many people in my life who would not believe that for a second. Why? Uh, and well, because I, it, it really switched in me. Uh, the, the class clown was hiding something else. Right. Um, and it was sort of a, you know, it was desperate. Um, we, 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 we were supposed to have a, a student matinee the other day and we didn't have it um, for various reasons. And and because of an experience where kids in the audience uh, really didn't behave well and they had to stop the play. Well, I was the kid in the audience who stopped the play in high school because I was acting out so much during, you know, these professional actors on our stage or in our auditorium stopped the play. They walked out and they never came back because
0: of Was there a part of you that wanted to kind of break the fourth wall and just say to them, like, guys, I, I get this. I was you. And now I want to do this for you. Can you shut up? <laughs>
1: um, well, I've actually been on the stage when kids have thrown things at us on the stage, coins and other stuff while we're doing a performance. And we had yeah. to stop that. Yeah. So I've been on the other side of it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, actually, yeah. we actually wound up having a workshop with the kids instead, which was fantastic. We got to read their plays, we the actors and oh. How I Learned to Drive. Just cold red plays that they read. They didn't know they were going to have them read, um, and uh, and we all got to interact about their their play. It was a fantastic day. That's um, incredible.
0: It, when did it even become a possibility? Because for most of us, we didn't know any we didn't know any actors who did it professionally. So the idea of it being a profession, how does that happen?
1: Yeah, well, it's like you said, and it's like most most. Most of the people you're talking about we don't know that there's there's a connection between the lives you're living and that life out there that seems yeah. to belong to you know everybody but us yeah um, when I you know I was I was kind of a hippie kind of, but that's basically what I was in high school um, and with long hair and my father just couldn't stand it um, and I and I was uh, you know just doing one play after another and being taken out of them because my grades are so bad but um, but I was the, you know, the one year the president of our drama society. And, uh, but I went into Boston and I saw a production of hair and I was like, Oh my God, yeah, I could do that. I could yeah. really do that. Maybe not get naked on stage, but I could do the rest of it. Um, but I didn't know how to do it. And in my senior year, uh, there was a fellow, uh, you know, who had gone to our school who was legendary. He was. Um, just an amazing actor, artist, musician. And Mrs. Freeney, the, the, the teacher I told you about, just adored him. And he had a breakdown um, uh, in his uh, graduation from BU in front of 6,000 people on the stage. He had a, a breakdown. I had friends who were there that day and uh, saw it happen. And he just started making this speech to, you know, to everybody. And and he went into therapy and he came back to the town I lived in, Hamilton, Wenham. Mrs. Freedy suggested that just as part of his therapy to feel good about himself, he direct a play at the high school, um, just separate from anything else. So he, he had done a play called uh, uh, Edward Albee's Zoo Story. Um, sure. And he, he decided to direct that at the school. And he cast me and another fellow in it. Um, and it was re- re- really successful. A lot of people came to see it. It was it was a big deal at our school. And after it, he told me that he was part of a, a repertory company that was forming in Boston. And he suggested that I go in and audition for this company at 17 years old and not having graduated. So I my mother I had but I had to do I do do a monologue. I've done a monologue in my life, two of them. And so um, my mother went to the library and got a book of plays and came back and we looked for a speech. I learned a speech and I skipped school with her permission and went into Boston for the day and um, went to this apartment with all these older people in there. And the artistic directory, director took me into uh, a bedroom where I did these monologues for him. And when he came out, he said, I want to introduce the newest member of the company. So at 17 years old, not knowing that I, you know, what the road was to, you know, that life, there I was, a member of a a new repertory theater.
0: How long, so what was the name of that company?
1: Boston Repertory Theater.
0: Okay, so did you also go to college?
1: I did not go to college. There was not much chance in the world that I was going to go. I didn't have the grades to go. I never did any of the PSAT, SAT, none of that. I didn't know any of that stuff. Right, so you just started
0: doing incredible plays with this this is your first professional community in the arts
1: it was definitely and it was a very small community and we we didn't you know originally it was going to be um uh it's a summer in hyannisport um uh and that's what we did and we did four plays in rep um uh over the course of the summer and I had a girlfriend back in Hamilton, you know, whatever it was. And I was hitchhiking. You know, as soon as the play would would end on Sunday night, I would go out and I'd hitchhike through the night back up to see my girlfriend on the one oh day off. God. And then, and then, uh, and then on, on on Tuesday morning, I'd have to hitchhike back. but Of course, I waited till the last minute to to do it, and I always get there right at curtain time. So, um, I bet you don't do cool. that anymore. I don't actually do that anymore.
0: (laughs) I bet you don't hitchhike anymore either. Um, Did you have any really scary hitchhiking experiences? Or was that a time Um, where people still did that sort of fearlessly?
1: Yes. I have some that I can't tell you about, Um, but I, but I, I, yes, I I did. I had, you know, hitchhiked across the country when I was in the rep and uh, we had a little break um, I was um, uh, a good friend of mine who was an actress in Boston, Mary Joy. Um, uh, she, uh, she and I got on a hippie bus, you know, an old school bus, and we started across the country together with all the seats were taken out. There were mattresses in there, but the thing kept breaking down like every 300 feet. I finally gave up on it and started hitchhiking. And when I was out in the desert, um, uh, the first car picked me up, this guy in a GTO, and he uh, um, pulls over and picks me up. And he takes off. He's doing like a 100 miles an hour through this desert. And he pulls out a gun and he puts it on the seat between us. And then he takes out his works uh, and wants me to shoot him up while, while we're driving. And he's just flying with his gun between us. And I'm shooting him up in the car, you know, timing off. And, um, and after I, you know, finish all that, I, I, I said, do you, do, you, do you mind if I get out here? And we're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> And he hits the brakes and he just screams to a stop. He's furious at me. Get the hell out of my car. And he leaves oh me in the middle of nowhere. God. And I just look around and I, I'm from New England. I'd never been out in the desert in my life. I just started crying. <laughs> I felt like I was on another planet. Um, Do you have kids? I have th- yeah, I got th- we have three kids. Yeah. You know they're going to go down whatever path they're going to go down anyway. But you also, at the same time, want them to be able to talk to you about the things you're going through. You want to leave that door open. Totally. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I have two teens. And um, it what an incredible adventure. I mean, it really is. It, it, is, yeah. it is harrowing. And it is truly the most fun uh, I've ever had. In my life sort of getting to know them and I'm sure you feel the same way and and figuring out how to share this with them and and uh all of it but to to go back to you um Saint Elsewhere was such a big deal and Mm -hmm. uh a huge television show and I feel like were you in your 20s when you got that show
1: I was. I was 28 when I got that show. Um, but I, I had uh, starred in a movie called Inside Moves before that with John Savage
0: at oh, wow. 26 years old. Wow.
1: Yeah. Um, first movie or TV I'd ever done in my life. i have never done any of it and wound up starring in the first movie I ever did.
0: Who directed that?
1: Richard Donner.
0: The wow. wonderful,
1: wonderful Richard Donner.
0: Totally. Um. So, did you have an agent at that point? Through all yeah, the theater I, you were doing?
1: Yeah, I, I had. You know, when I was up in Boston, the the the, the, the woman I told you about, Mary, uh, she had gone to New York and she studied with a man named Bill Esper, and sure. uh, she she came back to Boston and she said, "You you have to leave this company. It's time for you to leave the company. You have to come to New York and you have to study with this man." So I said, "And it, and it was feeling like right. It was time to leave the company. The company yeah. had changed a lot. So I went down and I had an interview with Bill and Bill said, and he was still at the, at the, uh, the neighborhood playhouse at that time. And he, he was going to be opening his own first studio on his own. So I interviewed him at the neighborhood playhouse and he said, um, listen, uh, you're obviously serious. Um, you've been acting for a while, but you're gonna have to stop acting if you're going to work with me. And I was like, what am I going to do if I stop acting? And he said, get a job. <laughs> but don't act, come, come and learn, it'll, it'll be the best thing for you. So I agreed I would do that. Um, and I got into his, his first class away from the neighborhood playhouse and it changed my life. You know, another one of those people who, who I doing repertory theater, it really became about, I was so enamored with the English and all the different roles they could play and, you know, all the voices and Faces and makeup and all that stuff. And that's really what I was doing in our repertory theater. And I'd gotten so far away from my instincts of something Mm -hmm. that was pure, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, the
1: thing that that got me into that company in the first place. Right. I got so far away from it. And he kind of stripped that away. And the whole that Sanford Meisner process, you know, doing truthfully under imaginary circumstances, that doing truthfully, that is really hard to do. and, 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 it, and, it, and it is a spiritual, emotional um, experience if you really deliver yourself to it. And with Bill, that, that's what it was. So as soon as I got finished that, it was two years, I started auditioning. I didn't want to go to look. I, I thought it was humiliating, humiliating the whole process of looking for agents, you know, sliding your picture and resume underneath doors yeah. so somebody will hopefully call you because you looked like something. Right. So I, didn't, I didn't want to do that. So I just started trying to do as many plays as I could just, you know, going to auditions and I started doing plays and I just thought if an agent's doing their job, they'll be out there. And that's what happened. I got an agent and she, she just submitted me for everything. Nobody knew who I was. Sure. Uh, and she submitted me for a, a movie called Dogs of War that Christopher Walken was starring and he just won the Academy Award for you know, deer hunter. So I auditioned for that and, and I got a call that night and said, Listen, you you've got the the small role in that, but they want you to audition for this other thing. And and I went over to a hotel and the next morning woke up Dick Donner and he handed me a script and said, All right, come back in an hour and I sat at a breakfast table with him and the producers and auditioned. They said, All right, get in the cab with us and went and I screen tested and wound up starring in a role in the movie.
0: Were you and are you able, I mean, when you talk about the foundation to do the work, right, the the description you gave of the Meisner technique, um, it's such a simple sentence and the hardest thing to do in the entire world, right? Um, It's also really hard when you work in film and television, often TV especially, it it just moves really quickly. Have you been able to find ways to still use a, a system or a technique that works for you, in non-theater situations, when things move really quickly, is it so embedded in you at this point that you know how to work truthfully wherever you are doing the work in whatever context?
1: I hope that's true. I would, you know, I, I think that's one of the gifts of this um, technique. And I would say, you know, you were asking me about who I was as a younger person. Um, when I was that class clown, um, and hiding this other stuff, um, uh, we had at our, at our church, there was a youth group. And because a lot of us were into drugs and, you know, doing the stuff we were doing in the sixties, the rector of the church, he started a tea group with our youth group, with a select group of us. And that was all about, um, Saying only what you feel, um, and don't say anything. You have nothing to say, and there was something that happened in there. Uh, I could no longer be the class clown. Mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't, work. and I, I had a, I had a, I had my own breakdown. I had my own, you know, emotional breakdown. I had to go into treatment for depression and all of that. But it, it all kind of went hand in hand, and I became very shy, and 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 so offended by any conversation. That was small talk. That was not about the truth, you know, uh, and and it made people uncomfortable. They they didn't know what how to respond to me because I I didn't talk, mm-hmm. uh, and then so they projected all kinds of things onto me, of their feelings onto me, and I because I didn't talk, I absorbed all of their stuff and had no no way to deal with it, all their emotions, all their junk. Um, I just took it all on and had no outlet for it except for acting. Um, So then by the time I got to Bill and he gave me a way to start channeling this, this, how do you be truthful? How do we be truthful together um, in this world? Uh, It's been important to me for a long time. And it's been important to me, like you were talking about children, to be with our children, with everybody. Um, And, I mean, and it just even things like small talk, you know, I, I just was terrible by forever. But I began to realize that there, there are things about small talk that are helpful. It, it, it gives us access to each other in a way, you know.
0: Sort of a gentle small, beginning.
1: It is. It, yes. It's just little, little cracks in the door and you see where that leads you. And whether you're always your eye out or ear out or heart out for what, what, what may be there.
0: Well, at some point you fell in love if you, you have this family. Um, do you, are you still married?
1: Oh yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah okay. I too. realized,
0: I thought so. I just realized I hope yeah. I wasn't making a huge faux pas. So wow. where did you meet your wife?
1: Well, I was doing a play, you know, at that period in New York, um, at the WPA theater, um, called The Trading Post, a really fun play. And I was rehearsing that. I was living on 9th Avenue, 51st Street. Um, and uh, and I, I came, you know, after one of the rehearsals one night, there was a place called Roy's across the corner, across Ninth uh, 8th, Avenue. Um, on the corner, and it was a little bar restaurant there. And I went in, I needed something to eat. And there was uh, a, a really beautiful young woman bartending. Uh, I was like, oh my gosh, how do I do talk to this person? And I was so shy. Um, and I, every guy in there wanted to be talking to her. And it's like, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to be like all of them. And the guy who lived in the apartment next to me on 51st Street, he came in and he sat down next to me and we were talking. And then she came over and started talking to him. And they had gone to school together. In fact, they had, they had, was, he was her first boyfriend at Williams College. So he introduced her to me. Um, and I was like, wow, <laughs> I get to talk to her. Um, and it was like, "It's it, people just don't, it's hard to believe this, but I actually knew that night looking at her, watching her, talking to her, that I, there was a choice here um, about how my life was going to go. And she was one fork in that road and there was another fork i could go how you know these things i don't know but i knew it um and i went home and i kept thinking how do i how do i go back and it's like a week took me a week and a half to 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 get up the courage go back and talk to her and in the middle of the day i decided just go just go so i went down and walked across eighth avenue and ninth avenue and she says that she was in the bar she was setting up and something said to her, go outside. She didn't know why. So she went out and she went outside the door and she went out there and she saw me walking across Ninth Avenue. And I saw her and it's like, oh my God, she sees me. So I'm like, in the middle of Ninth Avenue, I take a left turn and go down in the traffic, trying to get away. But <laughs> she's watching me walk down the block. And, she, and I turn around and she's looking at me like, what is going on with
0: you? What
1: are you doing? Now I have to go back. So I went back. She went inside, and I went back. And and the, you know, it's her and the busboy in there. And I yeah. go in. I don't see anything. I follow her down the bar, and she's like watching me walk down next to her. And then she starts back up. And I finally say, "Would you like to go out sometime?" And she said, "Yes." <laughs> okay, thanks. And I left. And it took me another week or two weeks to actually ask her to do something. And once I did, it was like, "This, this is it."
0: This is my life.
1: And it's still in and 40 years later.
0: All right. That is so incredible and magical. Um, let's talk about your play because yeah. uh, it is it is extraordinary. You are extraordinary. The idea that three of the original cast members, the original director, were all able to come back and do this again. Um the first time you guys did this, uh, it really took New York and the theater community mm-hmm. by surprise and by storm. I mean, the title does not let anyone know before they walk in what this play is about. Right. I mean, everything about it is um, surprisingly deeply poignant, moving, upsetting, disturbing. You're really undone when you walk out and you go in just excited to see this play with, oh, I know David Morris and Mary Louise Parker. I love their TV shows and their movies, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and it's not really just about a driving lesson. Can you, uh, and yet it is, can you, for for the people who haven't had the privilege yet of seeing this show or don't live in close proximity to the theater, what is how I learned to drive about to you?
1: For me, in the simplest way to tell it, it's a love story. Um, A very surprising, ultimately disturbing love story. Um, And I think people are so taken off guard by the compassion in this, the humor in this, the love in this, that allows them to go to a place that, you know, it's it's so heartbreaking, but it's so enlightening, too. You know, Paula won the Pulitzer Prize for a reason for this. Um, it, it, it could have been a, a story about a monster, and, it, and, and it's not. Um, it's, it's about two people who are damaged, and one of them giving the younger person a gift, you know, the driving lesson, but really way more than that, a gift of how to live in this world and at the same time leave him and uh try to heal herself
0: yeah
1: it's extraordinary
0: yeah did you um did you and mary louise know each other before you did this play the first time
1: no when i i actually i i was i was we had just moved to philadelphia we'd lost our house in the earthquake and we just moved to philadelphia so i was figuring out my life and um I got asked to come into New York. I've been doing some work, you know, a little bit of movies. And to just go into New York to the Vineyard Theater and do a reading of this new play, I thought, great, I'd love to do that. So I went in, read the play, and thought, this is a pretty cool play. This is really interesting. So I went in, and um, it was actually Cherry Jones who did the the reading originally. And Cherry had done a bunch of Paula's plays. Right. And we did the reading together at the Vineyard uh, and it was, it was really something. And then I went back to Philly, and I thought that would be it. Uh, and I got a call a couple weeks later asking me if I'd do the play. And they hadn't cast the role yet. Cherry, Cherry had other stuff happening, so she couldn't do it. Um, and the and theater had a slot they had to put it into, but it opened up. And they cast Mary Louise. And I had seen Mary Louise in movies, and I, you know, I knew she was a good actress. Yeah. And well, that's good You're looking at a good actress. I had no idea how good an actress she was. You know, it's, there, there, is, there is something that happens on that stage with her that had, does not happen with many people. Um, and I'd worked with really good people. I, in the years since, I've worked with great people. Sure, She is one of the most extraordinary people I've ever been with on a stage.
0: Can you can you talk about that with any specificity? Because sometimes there's something ephemeral and magical about someone. Are there any words in the English language that you can use to help those of us who haven't have the privilege yet of working with her? What that feels like in its when you're present with it.
1: Fearlessness, um, the being willing to go to wherever the moment takes you, which is what I've been, you know, was training to do. Right. But it takes it takes real courage to do that, not to hold on to things. Um, you know, things have to be a certain way. It's just being with a life force um that is just wakes you up, brings out the life Mm -hmm. in you, the life force in you. you know, That's that's a training is put your attention on the person and we'll let them, you know, bring yeah. you to Yeah,
0: affect each other, yeah, right. honestly. Yeah. So I think about jobs I've done recently where there are like intimacy coordinators and it's all handled with a kind of sensitivity that just wasn't a part of the discussion or the staffing of earlier jobs that I did. Um, yeah. And so you really, especially in theater, when I started out and when you started out, it was the director and then the stage manager who really created a space for people to do their best work in or not do their best work in, depending right. who who held the, the reins. So yeah. at the time, and Paul is in the room too, and you know that it's her story to a certain degree, imagined in a theatrical dramatization. Um, yeah. How did you guys find a way to work together and trust each other with, you know, very serious subject matter that dealt with uh, what we would call today. I mean, it was, it, it's sexually inappropriate, however you want to look at it um, yep. for all sorts of reasons. Um, how did Mark, at least the first time, and maybe you can talk about it now this time, create a space where you guys could work fearlessly with each other Dealing with this really hard subject matter.
1: Um, you know, we're talking about twenty-five years ago. Yeah. So to bring back a lot of that that memory is a little bit tricky. Um, I'm I'm actually impressed that we we were able to do it. Um, that we whoever we were as those young people. I think she was thirty-two when she did it, and, and it was my early forties. We were we were actually young for these characters. Yeah. Um, I think it has just says something about us as individuals that we didn't have those, you know, those rules and things that, that now, you know, those people, um, uh, the coordinators and all of that, we didn't have that. Uh, It's just what the respect, I guess, that we brought to each other, um, the delicacy, but I think it also started with Paula and her play. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it's so, it, it is so respectful in a way of people of of this family, um, and having her there. You know, she talks about it now. She wasn't talking about it then. Interesting. This, this was, yeah, this was all a secret. Um, you know, her family. Well, her mother was still alive at that point, so there were things that that she she just couldn't say. Mm-hmm. She is now talking about it because. Because she had, she has to you know mm-hmm. we're in a world like we have to talk about it uh, and she talks about it beautifully um, but it's her family and so we we had to to really be as loving and as respectful as we could with each other and with this material, but it's in the play too, and that brings that out
0: there's also uh a tremendous amount of comedy in this play. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it really, right. It's a very delicate balance in that way. I, I right. noticed it more this time, or maybe I didn't remember it as well from, you know, I was so young when I saw it the first time. Um, yeah. I remember being outside the theater. I remember so many young people just so emotional after that play and really, really reaching out to the actors for some sort of, um, I'm sure that was a lot to take on. It must still be a lot to take on, although because of COVID, the stage door is less of a, it's still less of a moment, and there's a little bit of less interaction, I imagine. It, it, the immediacy after the show with fans, I don't know if you're going outside. Um, do you do the it, stage door at all?
1: It, it is is—it is what I miss the most. Yeah. You know, like you say, when we did the play the first time, Young people, but also because people couldn't talk about their own experiences.
0: Right. And you she know, gave them own... a language. This play gave people language for something.
1: Exactly. And they needed to be, because they could their families, whatever it was, they needed to be around people who understood. And we would go out there and, you know, almost every night there would be people out there who just couldn't leave. They needed right. to talk to us. They needed us to know. Um and and now because of COVID, you know, and we're looking out in an audience, and everybody has their masks on, and you know, there's a what is that a, like? Just, oh, it's it's disappointing. You know, it's, it's a wonderful response we get every night. But I love being able to see people's faces. I mean you just you yeah. see you know, there's so much there. Um, and 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 they're told at the stage door afterward that we can't talk to them, we can't sign things, we can't which is very disappointing because um, you you just know that people are being so moved by this thing, and it's just odd to go out and go home, not not right. really have that connection. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, where this is this is a Uncle Peck is one of the most loving, charming, intelligent, um, intuitive characters ever written, right? In the theater, like you've played, you've done a lot of, a lot of plays. You've done a lot of, you know, very intense films, um, playing all sorts of characters. Um, There is a, a connection that you have with this part that is so seamless as an audience member. Um, mm. it, it, is, it is really something like astonishing to behold. I was telling my husband, you know, I saw Elaine May in Waverly Gallery. I don't know if you saw that play. It was extraordinary where, you know, she played a character in Kenny Lonergan's play who has dementia and the way the play went, if you didn't know that going in, you actually thought oh my god they're going to have to stop the play because no. this actress has dementia <laughs> like you could not believe how brilliant it was and yeah. <clears throat> there have been very few performances like that where i'm just where it feels like you're watching a documentary i guess is the best way to put it and 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 mr morse there is something between you and this character it wasn't written for you. I don't think Paula knew you before she wrote this play and was like, okay, and I'm going to tailor it for David Morse's talents. Um, it's sort of like how you describe meeting your wife. Like you just knew. Mm. Did, is there just, did you just know how to do this part? Was it somehow, or, or was it really hard and challenging?
1: Um, well, it is hard and challenging. Um, but I think I also instinctively know how to do it. Um, obviously, doing that first reading of the play, they felt that way too. Whatever it was right. that happened there that day, because they asked me to do it. There was, you know, there was something that happened. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: uh, you know it because I because you know I don't even know. I, you know I have to I have to. Go to the place. I have to imagine what made Uncle Peck who he is. Um, I, I, you know, this time I went, I drove around the South. I went to all the places that he lived, really lived. I mean, the uncle, all of us listen to people, listen to the language. Um, uh, I still have to do all that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just doesn't happen. Um, I have to really imagine he's a man who created himself. You know, when, when, when his wife or, or, or his um, sister and sister-in-law says about him, he, he's a hick. He's just a hick who learned how to, to mix martinis from Hugh Hefner. He was a hick. I mean, I, I don't mean to be offensive about it, but, you know, he came from that world. He had that accent. And he went to, fought in this horrible war in the Pacific. He was an incredibly damaged man, mm-hmm. an incredibly smart man. And he created this person. He escaped from that world, you know, but not totally. But he, he passed on what he learned to his young niece to escape that world as well. So mm-hmm. whatever it is, I, I just totally got him, understood him, but I still had to do the work. And I still have to do the work every time we go out on that stage.
0: Do you have rituals, backstage rituals or dressing room rituals, or I have to have this in my dressing room, talisman, are you ritualistic or superstitious before you go on stage?
1: I, I really try hard not to be superstitious and I'm still superstitious. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I really try to let all in that your DNA. Go. Yeah. Yeah. It's so unhelpful. Yeah. Um, you know, how do we just be in the moment, you know, be present and let go of stupid stuff. Um, but I, you know, I do have, I do actually do have a ritual. Um, and and for every play, you know, you find that there is, in terms of your warm up, your thinking, your delivering yourself, the putting on the little whatever makeup or dressing, or there's an order to things. And it's very yeah. helpful. Them. You know, there's a, you go start going down that track and not you need to be attached to them, but it's helpful. It, 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 it you know, over the course of the day, it, it brings you to that moment where you,
0: when you get there, um, do you see your castmates before the, you go on stage?
1: Oh, sure. I mean, we're all doing our different warm-ups and being on the stage. You visit
0: with each other but, on, on the stage.
1: Yeah, and every play is different. Like with the Seafarer, um, we all did group warm-ups, group vocal things, and there was a, a brilliant card game, very intricate card game in that, that play. Oh. And as a warm-up, we would do that that card game every night uh, together. So we were so when we hit the stage, we were really in tune with each other. That's it was awesome. so much fun. Um, that so was, was your different- fight call.
0: It was a card game instead of fight call. That's what you would
1: right. do. Yeah. Right. That's Before amazing. I spent Thomas, we had the fight call. You know, we had that stuff. So every play is its own thing.
0: Yeah. Um before I let you go, and thank you for this time and sharing so much of yourself, I, I almost feel it pains me to ask you, but is there also uh, a little known fact that you can share about yourself?
1: All right. Well, I've already told you some of this, but when I when I was in high school, in addition to doing theater, just, you know, I also uh, did art. I just did art. Like I said, when I was a kid and I was doing all those drawings, um, I just... Was mad about art as well. It was, it was so um, when when at, when graduation time came. I I, I I apparently I won two awards that they give out every year to you know different things to the students, and I won the best actor award and I also won the best artist award. But when they handed them out, I was down in Hannesport rehearsing for the you know for the play. I didn't even graduate. I got these awards, but after that first summer the, uh, you know, which we, of that theater down there, the company kind of disbanded. So I didn't, I went back home and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I wasn't going to go to college. Um, uh, and I was working in a newspaper press at night and I had some friends who were going to a college called Montserrat and they said, you know what, anybody can get in this college. You're an artist, you should, you should go to the this, this school. I said, I'll try it, on an artist. Well, that's what I'll do with my life. So I got my portfolio together that I, you know, was a pretty good one from, from school. And I hitchhiked over to the, the school, which was um, a little ways away. And I went in and all the those, you know, professors were around. And we looked at my portfolio and they said, this is great, but we're not going to take you um, because you're too conflicted. I said, you, you don't know whether you want to be in theater. You don't know whether you want to be an artist. So we can't take you here. You need to figure out what you want to do with your life. I was so depressed. I was so hurt. Um, And when I left, um, I'm walking along. It's in the winter, and this dog starts following me. Um, And I thought, oh, he gets me. He gets how pained I am, and he's really feeling for me. And he kind of jumps up on me. I think he really understands me. He jumps up, and he grabs hold of my coat with his teeth and kind of tugs on it. I kind of try to get him off. And then he keeps up tugging on my coat, and he starts tearing my coat. By the time I get across the parking lot, he has torn my coat to shreds, this dog. And I'm in the winter with no coat. Um, And then he walks away, kind of with his head, you know, shaking his coat. And um, I just felt felt like it was the end of the world. Not long after that, I got a call saying that the Boston rep was going to get together again. We're going to see if we can make it work in Boston. And uh, and I went in and we wound up doing six years. And as, as a member of the company... We all had to do something else, and I did all of the the graphics and posters and uh, advertising and ads every week. So I did six years of repertory theater and got to do all my art and design sets, and um, it worked out pretty well.
0: I I uh, I would agree. I would agree, David Morris. Yes. It has worked out really well because we have all been the beneficiaries of your just incredible artistry and your unbelievable integrity that you bring to everything you do. And thank you for being on the podcast today. What a joy to have you.
1: Well, I'm so happy to get to talk to you. This has been great. Thanks.
0: You're welcome. Um, One more thing. I keep getting emails asking how to donate to the podcast First of all, thank you in advance. You are the kindest humans. Just go to com slash donations. That is where you donate. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. This episode of little known facts was edited by nicholas klar we record in new york city the little known facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by georgia famusa with backup vocals by caleb famusa thank you this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear
1: everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping